Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why, hello, everyone. Welcome to season seven of the Heart of Dating podcast. You guys, we are starting the series off of the bang. Yes, we sure are. As we are opening dialogue surrounding faith, sexuality, and gender. Now, before we begin, I just want to implore you to listen to our trailer for the series. It's 12 minutes long, but I truly think it will give you a sense of our heart and our mission for this entire series. Friends, the reality is that this topic can sadly be so dividing, and in many ways, it's also become increasingly politicized. There are so many leaders, amazing leaders, who want to cover the topics of gender, faith, and sexuality, but who are often crippled in fear from potential backlash that often does happen as soon as these topics are brought up. So here's my ask of you today. I humbly ask you to listen patiently with an open heart. Listen before you reach out to us. Listen before you make any judgments or assumptions. Listen and truly hear the stories that are about to be shared in the coming weeks. Believe me, there have been a lot of practical and theological questions I have had to research and wrestle with over the last several years on these topics. And with that, I want you to know that This series has been done with immense prayer and thoughtfulness. Each guest has been hand-selected and prayed over. Our team has sought mentorship from numerous Christian leaders. We have researched and studied and prayed to no end to bring you what we believe is a beautiful, eye-opening, God-filled series on faith, gender, and sexuality. But above all, I want you to know that the stories that you are about to hear the next several weeks are eye-opening, godly, and inspirational. And I truly pray that you hear the words of the guests. These stories are the reality for so many people. And oftentimes our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters do not feel the weight of compassion, of hearts to understand, and of people who want to actually come alongside of them. Instead, they often only hear our hearts to change them, shun them, or disagree with them. Our ultimate goal with this series is to create a safe and compassionate environment for any LGBTQ person, as well as anyone currently wrestling with their gender or sexual identity, many of whom feel really marginalized and ostracized by religion. And for anyone who may be straight, we hope that this series will expand your mindset, ignite a fiery compassion on your hearts and challenge you to come alongside those in your life who identify as LGBTQ plus with more love and grace. If you think that you're going to walk away from the series with all your questions answered and feel perfectly equipped, that isn't exactly realistic. This series is meant to be a conversation starter. We pray that it motivates you to continue on the journey and feel more equipped to have healthy, nuanced, compassionate dialogue on the topics of faith, sexuality, and gender. It can become really easy, okay? Especially if you're listening and you're like me, someone who's straight and has not struggled with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, to talk about all of this as an issue or an argument to be won. Let me say that again. It can be really easy to talk about this as an issue or an argument to be won. But can I implore you today to humbly take a new approach? As my dear friend Preston Sprinkle who will be on this series in a few weeks, he says this, even if you land theologically with a traditionally Christian view of marriage, would you please consider that your truth will never be heard until your grace and compassion are first felt. So today I invite you to lean in and listen. And with that, I am so thrilled to bring you our debut episode featuring the incredible David Bennett. David comes from Sydney, Australia, where he studied journalism and then international relations. He moved to Oxford to pursue his studies in theology and train as an apologist from a skeptical atheist background as an anti-Christian gay activist. 
David now holds undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in theology from Oxford, a master's degree in theology from the University of St. Andrews, and is now completing his doctorate in theology at Oxford. David is an author, a passionate communicator, and a budding scholar who speaks and writes on a wide range of topics, including theology, desire, beauty, ethics, and sexuality. He is frequently asked to appear and speak internationally in a variety of settings, including churches, academic conferences, national radio and TV, including Vice Australia, and on BBC platforms such as the BBC One documentary, Young Gay Christian. As a celibate Christian, he is seeking to be a fresh voice on the topics of love, desire, and sexuality in order to show how people can live and flourish through Christ's teaching. David has recently published his first book, A War of Loves by Zondervan. You guys, it's such a good book. It describes his own story from atheistic gay activism to becoming a follower of Jesus, in which he advocates for a positive moral vision of biblical sexuality and discipleship. His other interests include French, Latin, church history, writing, travel, cooking, reading books, and living in Christian community. So, you guys, today I invite you, seek to understand that which you have not understood before you make any judgments or seek to change other people. We are embarking into this great conversation together, but we are doing so with love, grace, and compassion, and an open heart to see others the way God sees them. So without further ado, my conversation with the amazing and incredible David Bennett. David Bennett, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today, my friend. Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm so excited to be on with you. <laughs> I have seriously look forward to this so much because maybe I'm geeking out a bit, when, especially when I read someone's book and then get to connect with them. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, all the things I just read just came to life when we got to have our first conversation a few weeks ago. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, David is the coolest. His story is so amazing. And now we get to have this really awesome, rich conversation for people to hear. So I can't wait. I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) Honestly, I was just really touched to be contacted by you. And, you know, I really care about the space that this podcast, you know, inhabits and just like renewing, Mm -hmm. like what it means to desire God, desire, you know, good things in, in this life and just how culture really is scrappling with that at the moment. I just think, you know, part of dating, like, that's where it's at, you know, (laughs) that conversation is so important. So I was just really touched. So thank you for having me on. Oh, man, it's it's gonna be great. I, I, so for people who don't know who you are, David, and they need to get connected to you, first of all, I'm like, everybody go get connected with David, because every time I read (laughs) something you put on Instagram, I'm like, yes, wow, this just challenged my thought process. Oh, my gosh. But moreover than that, like you also wrote an incredible book called A War of Loves, which was just a profound story of your journey of previously being an atheist gay activist and just how God really met you through your journey. And I I love that perspective that that was the beginning of your journey. And just even hearing like how Christians just irked you back in the day, like, you know, like I I would even love for people today to hear a little bit about some of that before we get into like the depths of all the things we're going to go into. Would you mind sharing just a bit of your story? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting is One of my friends framed it this way. He said, you went from atheist gay activist to gay evangelist. And I thought, (laughs) well, that's an interesting um, way of framing it, actually. And, you know, I think my story is one which involves like a lot of intersections. I think there aren't as many people who have, you know, been atheist gay activists and then become like a born again, spirit filled, scripture believing Christian, like. That's not a common story we hear in the media. I do think it happens, but it just isn't given the airtime. And I think in that experience that I've had, there's just so many rich veins of gold for people to think about from whatever perspective. And so, you know, when I wrote the book, A War of Loves, I just wanted to put that on a platter for people in a way that was digestible and yet had some depth to it. Um, yeah, so like my story really starts, I suppose, you know, as the book starts, you know, I'm 
I'm a you know um, young gay teenager, 13 years of age. I come to terms with my sexuality and going to a Christian school, but I'm raised in an agnostic atheist home. Like I'm in Sydney, which is like the second biggest gay city in the world. Like gay rights was really starting to like uh, gain traction in Sydney at the time. And yet I was going to the quite a conservative Christian school. And yet my parents gave me quite a like open, loving home about that. And there was some sense of kind of cultural Christianity in my mother, but she wasn't like, didn't really believe in God. And I remember laughing about how my aunt had this kind of evangelical faith and how ridiculous it was and how could she be that that smart and believe those crazy things um so like <laughs> I was very skeptical really actually in my upbringing although God wasn't completely deleted it was just kind of I remember going to like a liberal church a gay church uh in Sydney and just like having this spiritual curiosity and trying somehow to like make it work I was a Wiccan witch for a year I was a Buddhist <laughs> For a good six months, I like met the Dalai Lama in Sydney. I went through a lot of spiritual fads as this young teenager. Came out as gay when I was fourteen um, at the Christian school, and really felt like quite I don't know, like confronted with rejection, I suppose. And this is the thing I think I want people to understand: is that being gay isn't essentially just an ethical issue. It's really a question of human suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, why would God create? you know, human beings and allow some of them to have uh, these desires that go against his will and purpose and law and then condemn them for for those desires when they've done absolutely nothing, you know, (laughs) to have them. Like, it just feels like so unfair if you don't really understand the gospel. And I didn't really understand the gospel. I thought what I understood Christianity to be was, you know, from my school and my experience of Christians was like, here's this moral law. You don't live according to it. Therefore you're excluded. And then you're going to hell. And like, that's it. Like you're out. And then all the good people go with Jesus and all the bad people go to hell. Um, (laughs) That was the kind of bare bones of what I understood Christianity to be. I didn't understand like the gospel of grace. I didn't, and so I remember a Christian friend saying to me, like, David, have you experienced grace at the age of 14? And I was like, well, I'm too angry to even talk to you about whatever that is. You know, I don't <laughs> want to, like, it doesn't even matter because, like, why would God allow this right? You know? Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, like, get out of my face. You're annoying Christian. You know, this is yes. kind of, you know, and, and I think, you know, Henry Nowen, who's this um, mm. great spiritual writer, one of my favorite spiritual writers, he was same-sex attracted himself, a Catholic priest. And he just, like, talked about, talks about how, you know, the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is rejection, self-rejection. Yes. And, and, and it tries to contradict the voice, the sacred voice of Jesus that tells us that we're the beloved and that he's made us the beloved. Like, I can feel the Holy Spirit saying this. Like, I, honestly, I think what I was battling deep down in myself as a teenager was self-rejection and me coming out as gay was about rejecting self-rejection but what i didn't understand in that kind of dialectic of self-rejection and self-affirmation was actually that self-affirmation i'm gay you don't agree with gay marriage well i reject you kind of attitude that angst actually came from the fact that i was still controlled by self-rejection i think that's that's the irony a lot of gay people feel just like i have to reject what rejects me but that shows actually that we are still controlled by self-rejection. Wow. And, and, and I didn't understand that as a young gay activist. In fact, I experienced homophobia um, in a park when um, I was kissing my boyfriend and he actually gave me a cross as a gift and I kind of railed against it. Why would you give me a you know, sign of our oppression as a gift? And he was Russian Orthodox. And so for him, it was very special and he was baptismal cross and he was like i just really feel like you need faith i feel like you're looking for something that like nothing else can give you and so there was always this sense that i was a very spiritual person but i just couldn't accept christianity and so he kissed me and then a man pulled up on a motorbike and threw a stone against my back you know and i remember kind of having this cross and thinking that cross is to blame for that homophobia and i need to destroy christianity Mm -hmm. to be free and to free my boyfriend and myself and others in this community. And so I suppose I was woke before there was anything called woke in the sense that I really felt like I had to destroy something to be free. And I don't think that's what woke people, people who, you know, align with wokeness really want to do. It's just that they feel that pain and they don't feel identified with, and they don't feel like the Christian church, the Christian world has really wrestled with the suffering that they've gone through 
and 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 I think that is such a deficiency that I encountered in and amongst conservative Christianity when I was that age, and I wish it was different. And so I just as much disagree with that kind of version of Christianity in the sense of what I thought it was, <laughs> no gospel of grace, no, you know, breaking in of, of Jesus, just as much disagree with that. And it, it wasn't until I was the age of 18, I was at a Christmas lunch table with my aunt and uncle, and they were at going to a Pentecostal church and they brought my mom to faith. And I was really angry with them about it and thought <laughs> that they were trying to like brainwash her into giving a lot of money to organizations that would like cure gay people, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. like ex-gay oh conversion God. therapy. And I was yes. just like, oh my gosh, like I must destroy this, you know, um, mother, <laughs> why are you going to this church? Why can't you just be a good nominal Catholic next? Like, I think that was my attitude. And I was just like sitting there at Christmas lunch, 2008 with my, these family members and I just remember being like, these are my cultural enemies. Like, I have to, like, defeat them intellectually. And so I'd been studying postmodern philosophy and all this other stuff and had become a kind of atheist at that point where I'd, like, like put all my spirituality behind me. And I actually, so my, my uncle mentions God and I just exploded, like, with every objection imaginable. Like, what about, you think everyone in other religions is going to hell? That's ridiculous. It's billions of people. Can you really live with that on your conscience? Like, what about women? Look at what you've done to them. What about gays and transgender people? Look at what you've done to them. Like, Christianity is such an evil thing. Colonialism, empire, like, you name it. Why would I ever believe in that? You're like, God obviously doesn't exist. There is no absolute truth. And you can't even communicate absolute truth with language. So don't even talk to me about God. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so he responds to this, like, completely theatrically crazy, like, I will defeat you and destroy you <laughs> attitude that I had. And he just said, well, David, there's a few problems with what you said. You said there's no absolute truth and that's an absolute truth. And you just communicated that with language. So you just doubly contradicted yourself. <laughs> I just remember being like, what kind of response is that? But then secretly being like intellectually like, Ooh, that's actually true. Kind of like, well, I'm just going to play the gay card and win. So I did. And then kind of, stormed out but he said something as I was leaving which was like the truth is a person not a concept in my head mm -hmm. and I don't have perfect knowledge of that person but I know he's the truth mm -hmm. and all I'm trying to do is share that with you David and I don't have all the answers but he is the answer he is the truth he is a person and in my postmodern mindset that made sense yeah wow you know, it wasn't about conceptualities and these like legalistic morality kind of based game between progressives and conservatives. It's like a person in the middle of all this madness that I've been exposed to in the culture war that Jesus stood in the middle of that and radiated out a deeper answer. And I think that was really a point at which like the Holy Spirit started to touch my life. And it's so interesting because we hate apologetics in our culture. We think it's a bit naff. But actually, my uncle, in a way, was doing that with me. He was shifting the conversation in helpful ways intellectually, you know. And so it wasn't all just like this big conversion experience for me. It was also an intellectual thing. And so I leave that conversation angry, but deep down, something it was touched in me. And I could tell that my uncle loved me. Like, I could tell that he wasn't trying to just have one over me. He got in the car with my aunt and he like had a prophetic word basically that when he was speaking to me, he saw the Holy spirit over me and that I would become a Christian in three months time. And wow. so my mom mm -hmm. and my aunt and my uncle, like all, you know, had this, this experience together and were praying for me for three months. And so in March, 2009, I had a kind of crazy conversion experience, Holy spirit kind of baptizing me <laughs> and saving me all at the same time. Like, Afterwards, I remember like waking up, speaking in tongues. Like after that moment, I could feel the presence of God, like sitting on park benches. All my queer friends at uni thought I was crazy, like that I'd met God, the God of the universe and they're kind of half curious and half weirded out. Like I used to buy sushi rolls every morning for my breakfast, kind of weird, but it's kind of a Sydney student thing to do. And I gave all my sushi rolls <laughs> to all the homeless people. And like that would never happen. That was a deep sign of transformation. I'm telling you, okay. So <laughs> David Bennett giving away his morning food is like, you know. <laughs> that's a big <laughs> that's deal, deep. okay? That's like yeah, me that's giving away my morning deal. coffee and that is really difficult for me, okay? <laughs> exactly like that. So that look, that's a very quick overview. There's, I mean, I would love to go into the conversion experience and everything if you want to, but 
it was just amazing. It was like a 180 degree crazy pull style Damascus road experience in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney with a girl who prayed for me. And then I went home that night and my mom was waiting up and we had this big fight. And I said, you have to choose between the delusion in your head and your real son standing right in front of you, who is gay, like make your choice. Clearly the evidence of my gayness and the, the ridiculousness of what that God is like, why would you not choose me? I'm real. This God isn't real. Like choose me. And my mom said like, I don't have to make that choice, David. That is, not a real choice like by loving god i love you better and i love that she refused that choice and i feel like the church is being told that it has to make that choice in our culture and i think that's a false choice but you know i i think there still was that rift just like there is that rift in our society and i think jesus is longing to heal that rift i think jesus is longing to pull us deeper than than our prejudices than our anger than our bitterness and what he did is he pulled me deeper. He, he pulled me into the river of his love. He pulled me into the holiness and the crazy wild reality of God's presence and like exploded <laughs> all of that like certainty out of me that I had to let go of, of these kind of certainties that I could protect myself with. Yeah. And, and so, so there I am like after experiencing God and being filled with the spirit and being saved in that pub and I walk in, you know, this is exactly three months after I have the debate with oh my, my uncle and, wow. and, and my mom is there and I'm going to have to eat my words, you know? And, and she just sees me. She's like, are you okay? Like what's happening? I was like, I think I've become a Christian. And she just screamed. She was like, Oh my gosh, the prophecies come true. Like exactly three months after your uncle said, like, like what you knew about this? Like yes. it was, really amazing it was like a biblical story you know it had that it was just god's grace in my life and um she said like you know ask your your aunt and uncle about this word and like so i I basically found out there's this huge divine conspiracy to save me and the girl in the pub went to the same church as my mom my aunt and my uncle that was all just so amazingly predestined and yeah so that's how i became a christian that's the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember even just reading that, the story of, first of all, your uncle's prophecy, but then also the girl in the pub. And I was like, I was in tears. I think I was, I remember exactly where I was when I read this part of your book, David. And I was like, <laughs> I was like sitting at this beautiful lounge in Carmel by the sea. And it was a gorgeous place that I love to visit. It's one of my favorite places. And I was sitting by this fire and I'm like, <gasps> reading this like, oh my gosh, it was just so beautiful and profound. I just remember the moment I read that and how beautiful, I love how you said it, like this divine conspiracy. And like, it's just, that's what it felt like reading it. And that's obviously what it was truly, how it happened in your life. And, but I know that the journey didn't stop there for you. I know that even after this moment, there were still wrestlings and there were things that there were times where, you know, you even say in your book, like that you wanted to revise a little bit what God said in scripture, because it's like, okay, I become a Christian, but now I have to like resolve what the Bible actually says or what I like, what is, okay, wait a second. Like, and I remember you said that you're like, okay, I love, I'm like, I'm, I'm accepting God, but I don't know about the Bible yet. I don't know all that God says in the scripture. Right. And I think that that's a really tough thing for a lot of people, especially people who feel that they are gay. Like, okay. Like I, 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 yes, I am a Christian, but what, but what, how do I deal with all the, these desires and what God Mm. says in scripture and what does it look like to fully surrender myself? And so would you walk us through a little bit of that? Because then I want to start talking about like love and breaking that down and, and a lot of assumptions that we have about that. But what, what did that look like for you? I think that's such a great question. And that's right at the heart of it really. Um, Mm. I think for me, I kind of had to suspend that question for a while because I was so full of pain and so hurt by Christian culture. And it's funny because it's not like I had some like really like prejudiced Christians come up to me and be like, you're gay and we hate you. Like, yes, I'd seen that online. And yes, I'd seen it like in the culture, that toxicity in the Christian culture. But like, it's like I had been like so directly affected by it. But yet I knew that that group rejected me and couldn't understand me. And so I was, it was interesting. It was like, I think the the depth of my experience of God was almost like him saying, 
you belong to my church no matter what. Like, I have justified you by faith. Like, you cannot, that cannot be stolen from you. Like, even if people in the church reject you, even if people hate you, even people misunderstand you profoundly, like, you are mine and I will not let go of you. And I think I had to know that before I could really face scripture. Mm. I had to go through this kind of liberative moment where I realized I could not be justified by the law. I could not produce works in my desires and in myself that would align with the law. And I think what's so different for gay experience than straight experience is that unlike straight experience, yeah, straight desire is misaimed. You know, so yeah. is gay desire. All yeah. desires are misaimed because of the fall. Like we all aren't really desiring people well. And we see that in our dating life. You know, we see that in how we're attracted. Like sometimes we're like grabbing onto people and we're like got problems and we're trying to be sanctified in our hearts and our minds yeah. to like love people right, you know. And yeah. and we see this in this like kind of crisis of purity culture that our yeah. culture has gone through. And, <laughs> you know, I think, what I had to realize is that actually being gay was like being being straight and yet very different to it at the same time. That the gospel was universal for all people, gay or straight, but that it applied differently because that experience is different. And so having a desire, just imagine this for your straight listeners, listeners for a moment. Imagining just you know awakening to sexual desires and realizing you're oriented towards the same sex and that your desire doesn't accord with the created order at all Mm. with straight people your desire might be all over the place (laughs) but at least it can be redeemed and sanctified in marriage towards the created order like you still have that as a positive thing you can aim towards that for gay people we don't have that in if we're christians like you know scripture struck that off and so the deep grief that we have is you know, so deep. And when straight people come along and trivialize that, like, it is so annoying. Like, it's yes. like, how dare you? Like, you don't go what I what I go through. It's like, you know, rich people talking about having a Maserati and you have, like, this bomby car that breaks down every face. Not that, like, being gay is bad, but that, like, we have to deal with this other grief, okay? Yes. And it's like, it's just like rich people talking about having all of these possessions around poor people. Like, it just... Is so ang- ang- angering. I can't describe yeah. it to you. So, so, so I think with scripture, you know, when when you're reading scripture, I think when I first read scripture, I read it like a law because I'd been exposed to this moralistic Christian cu- culture, and I thought that's what Christianity was when I was first saved. And so I threw the Bible against the wall, <laughs> like I, I hated the Bible, and yeah. I felt like it didn't give me any space to breathe in the way that God actually did. <laughs> you know? yes. But it took me time to realize that the God that I'd experienced was the God of the Bible, and that so many of my mystical, spiritual experiences of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit were described in Scripture. And so I came to trust it experientially. And you know, in my relationship with N.T. Wright, I think that's what's so fascinating in our friendship is I, I come from this other angle to him. He started out his life absolutely loving the Bible, like dedicating his life to the Bible and the truth of scripture. And th- thought it's so great. It's wonderful for everyone. I came from a very different place. The Bible was like almost my enemy. And then I had to realize that it, the God that I'd experienced was real and that God was the God of the Bible. And actually what I thought the Bible said wasn't really exactly what the Bible said. And when you fit it all together in a bigger picture, suddenly you realize, oh no, this God isn't homophobic. This God, yes, has truth and yes, has a moral like reality for sexuality, but that's only one part of a much bigger story. And when that locks into the bigger story, it's not bad news anymore. It's not that legalism. It's not that moralism I thought it was. It's like, God himself comes in and steps down into human flesh and deals with that difficulty with us. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't tell me why I'm gay. He gives me some theological resources that are better than secularism for explaining why we're gay. So creation, fall, and redemption gives us a much better (laughs) story to explain being gay, that we're created with desires, that we fell and those desires were complicated by the fall. And then God gives us special witness out of those desires in redemption. So we think of like Isaiah 56 with the eunuch, you know, which is a sexual minority at the time, someone who couldn't have children. It's very similar to being gay or like 
you know, going through gender dysphoria, all these other intersex experiences, there's a difference of embodiment in the eunuch to the everyday person. They couldn't enter the temple. They were rejected from religious community. And you see in Isaiah 56, 600 years before Jesus comes, this incredible passage that says, I will give a name and a monument. And the words name and monument actually refer to sexual procreation. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so you're not just talking about like a fun little honoring in God's like temple. We're talking like a full on children, like, like procreativity. God's saying, I will give the eunuch something that's better, a monument and a name that's better than sons and daughters. So like, a way of being a progenitor that's even better than actually having kids, which having kids is amazing, but it's this like, even better thing, which we get in the name of Jesus, that we can have spiritual children. And so when you change the landscape around that new name that he gives in Jesus, not being able to be married and be celibate is actually the better thing because you, you dedicate your life to that salvation and that new birth and that you know, being born from above. And that's actually central now. Procreation is still good, but it's not the center. It's been relativized to the side. And, and that's the reality we live in. And so if you're gay and you live in that reality, that it's not bad news to be celibate. In fact, it's a deep honor because you get to live like Jesus. And so we've got it all wrong, you know, yeah. with, with, with these things. We've really put procreation and marriage at the center rather than what Jesus brought in the incarnation. So that's a lot of information to take. I can say so much more, but um, maybe we can go into more and, you know, even in another podcast, but I just say the way that I approach, like my favorite scriptures now, not all of them have to do with sexuality, but actually the two major ones in the new Testament, like that I love, like I actually love these scriptures now. It's so weird. <laughs> you're like back, yeah, thinking of yourself like 10 years ago where you're like, uh, <laughs> Or however long it was. Yeah. And now you're like, and I love these scriptures now. Yes. Well, Romans 1. Like, take Romans yes. 1. Okay. You okay. read that, you go, dang. Oh, poor gay people. Dang. Oh, wow. Yes. Like, I was like, like read like, in Romans 1. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> you know, but you turn Romans 1, you read Romans 2 afterwards, you realize Paul is basically, what's happening is imagine like a legalistic Christian American, okay? <laughs> like speaking and saying, those, those don't people, exist. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just imagine that person, whatever that yes. looks like, okay? Yes. And they're saying, look, there's there's gay people in society and this world is so broken and God's wrath is against everyone. And, you know, God couldn't be right in making them, you know, righteous with him through Jesus. Like, that's not okay. So in Paul's context, that was happening for people who weren't Jewish. People who had come in to the kingdom through Jesus who weren't Jewish, they were being treated like that by certain kind, a certain kind of Jewish believer at the time. So it was so bad that Emperor Claudius had to kick all the Jews out of Rome. Like, that's a big government yeah. edict to kick a whole people group out of a city because there was such tension over this. Oh so that's the context of Romans 1, okay? We're not talking about, oh, he's just writing some nice doctrinal truth in the, in, in the clouds, and then we read it, and that's our truth. No, 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 no. This is in the context that's living, okay? And, and, and we deal with similar difficulties in the church is slightly different but they're so related anyway in romans 2 this stereotypical kind of jewish view of the gentiles paul doesn't disagree with it doesn't say that homosexuality isn't the you know is okay he agrees with the morality but he turns it back on those people who are condemning those gentile believers and says you just like them and you do the same things and yet you condemn them He's exposing the pride behind those who condemn gay people, who condemn, you know, the excluded group yeah. and saying, you wow. watch it because it's doubly worse for you if, you know, <laughs> and I just think, wow, what an amazing scripture, like for our conversation about being gay, you know, or LGBTQI plus. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you think, oh, that's so terrible. He's saying gay sex is a sin. Like we shouldn't, you know, be sexually active etc etc yeah okay you could look at it that way and there's truth to that but then there's another side to that scripture where he's saying such as some of you were but you're washed and waiting in other words there were tons of gay people that jesus had included in the church that's what that is saying yes they're called to an obedience under like in, in no sexual immorality like you know marriage has a certain meaning for god but they're included by grace. Yeah. That's radical. Like that is way more radical. And that's actually the foundation of gay rights. 
you know, we wouldn't have gay rights without that teaching. And actually, there are many historians like Tom Holland who's actually said that, that without Paul, we wouldn't have gay rights because he did that. He said gay people were part of the church, even if they were called to abstain from that, acting on that desire. Having the desire did not disqualify them from justification by faith, from being in Christ. That's how I see the Bible now from how I used to see it. So here's the deal. You don't have to scroll very far down your newsfeed to find a story about the restorative effects of collagen. It's all the rage these days, but it's also way more than just the hype. With all the news about collagen on the market these days, how do you know which brand to actually invest in? You can get the very best collagen on the market today from Ancient Nutrition. Ancient Nutrition has one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. Whether you want to improve your body, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your very best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel. All Ancient Nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients and are rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity. Their best-selling multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen. It is the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint comfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after four weeks, and transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks. It's unflavored and dissolves in any liquid, so you can put a scoop in your morning coffee, smoothie, or even your baked goods. Personally, you guys, I love mixing my Ancient Nutrition Multi-Collagen Protein Powder into my morning coffees. It is my routine and I love it. And right now, you guys, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com and enter the promo code HEART at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com, entering the promo code HEART, and you'll get 20% off. Hope you enjoy. All right, y'all, if there is one thing that I have learned during this COVID season, it is the importance of knowing how to cook at home yummy and delicious meals. I actually got really super into making some really good recipes in COVID, such as beef bourguignon and getting my Julia Child sense of self out. And then I also even learned how to make a really yummy hearty steak. But here's the key that I learned while making delicious homemade meals you have to have the right kitchen tools. So that's where I want to introduce you to today's episode sponsor, Made In. Made In is a cookware and kitchenware brand that works with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots, pans, knives, and wine glasses. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without all of the markup. I love that their cookware distributes heat evenly and can even go easily from the stovetop into the oven. Also, I used to only have really terrible knives, but man, did my life change when I got some chef's knives. You guys, these knives that they have are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and they stay sharp. And don't even just take it from me. They have over 28,000 five-star reviews. Their products are used by some of the best chefs at Michelin star restaurants around the world. Right now, Maiden is offering our Heart of Dating listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code KATE. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products, you guys. Go to madeincookware.com slash KATE and use promo code KATE for 15% off your first order. May I also add, this is a really incredible gift to give somebody for a wedding or for a birthday or whatever comes up. I love Made in Cookware as a gift. So you can go to madeincookware.com slash KATE and use promo code KATE for 15% off your first order. Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Okay. But just every time we talk, David, I'm like, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm just sitting here <laughs> nodding my head. But also just, I mean, you've covered so many things just in what you just said. And I mean, even as people are listening, like I think it's so profound to hear 
you even speak to even some of the legalistic Christians who are like, oh my gosh, we have gay people. It's such an abomination. Da, da, da. And my heart just hurts even hearing that. I'm like, there's a real person attached to what you're saying. And what you brought up earlier too, that there is a grief. Like there's a, you don't even understand the grief that once you are a Christian and you are reading the Bible and you come to, you start realizing what this means for you. Like there's a grief and, in, and, in, in having to surrender that some of those desires over. And like, we, we just so easily want to be like, oh, but it it's this way. And how dare you even think of it any other way? And how dare you even wrestle? Like, I'm like, um, but wait, like, how do we just, fl- we flatten that human experience or we flatten the ability to come alongside and start understanding people's stories. And I love so much of what you stand for, David, like you stand for th- these truths of the Bible and you understand it in such a beautiful apologetic view. You've so much knowledge to glean from, but you also have such an experience there as well that is like just so profoundly unique. Now, something that I love about your story too, is being previously being a gay activist and and there's a fav- famous slogan, you know, just love is love, you know. And so can we break down? I would love to break down a little bit about what love really is. You explained it so amazingly in your book and some of our previous conversations. And why do we get love like so wrong in our culture today? We know that in scripture, love is defined by Jesus and his death on the cross. We know that as the basis of love. Okay. And Jesus never had sex. Okay. He never, he never married. There's no evidence of that. You know, any biblical scholar will say to you, it's like 99% the case that he was definitely single. Um, and, 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 and stayed that way his whole life, which is very unusual for a Jewish man who was meant to pass on the seed of Abraham through having children. So even that is a whole theological thing we could go into, but we won't. Um, my point is basically that, you know, love isn't what we say love is. So love isn't God. God is love. And how do we know who God is? Well, we know who God is through Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. And so God is love, not love is love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love can be a million and one things. You know, Augustine talks about how our hearts after the fall are loving everything yeah. that exists and going in every direction, you know, and yet we know that that doesn't work, like that that can lead us down really bad paths sometimes, <laughs> you know, if we just follow our loves where they take us, like why, we, would have, we would have a much better world if, if, if we could just go with our hearts, you know. That, that, that doesn't work. Um, our hearts are broken and yet beautiful and have a great capacity for love and yet lead us down tracks that are not according to the will of God. And so I think, or sinful, if you want to say it that way. <laughs> and so Jesus affirms that in the Gospels. And so for me, love is defined first at, in Christ, in who Jesus is. And if we start from there... And look at our culture. We really apply that truth. We see that our culture has an idolatry of sex that has come in and actually really perverted that vision of God's love. And and what happened in the 16th century was, you know, there were these classical words for love in Greek, like eros and agape. And even C.S. Lewis, who I actually disagree on this, he actually got this wrong. And People don't like it when you disagree with C.S. Lewis yeah. in the Christian world, but yeah. he was, no, he's he was like, wrong. Yeah. Like Eros, he said Eros is sexual love and agape is spiritual love. That's wrong. In the ancient world, Eros was all about God. It wasn't actually about sex that much. It was about a love for the truth, to be unified with something or someone else that made you feel that sense of being whole. That's Eros. And agape was overlapping in that and was a self-sacrificial love and was understood you couldn't have eros without agape and that they're kind of the same love, just two sides of the same coin, if you like. And so actually what we did in the Protestant Reformation is we split eros from agape and we said sex is terrible and spiritual love is good. And that's not what we want to say. We want to say sex needs to submit itself, be demoted under the greater reality of eros for God and and desire for God, and that that will renew our desires and our loves towards God and, and bring, bring them to the right alignment. And then we can truly love as God loves. And that that's the goal of our lives, you know? And so, yes, romantic love can participate 
in that reality, but it's not necessary for human flourishing. It's not necessary to love. You don't need to have romantic love. It's one way that that can be expressed in marriage between a man and a woman within the created order. But yeah. outside of that, it's not even about that. That's a distraction. Even when people come to Jesus in the gospels and say, you know, what about divorce? And he's like, why are you guys focusing on marriage? Like, it's really not the bee's knees. It's not the be all and end all. He's like, do you not know that you're going to be like the angels in the resurrection? And like, this is not the point. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, he's actually not that interested in marriage, which shocks people about Jesus. You think Jesus would be all about marriage, but he isn't really that focused on it. He cares about it and he affirms it as a good, but he's much more focused on this new creation reality where that eros is sanctified and beautiful and this desire to be one with God and others can happen in friendship, you know, and, and marriage will actually no longer be there. That's how I would define love as Jesus does, you know, and that, that, that eros towards God, that desire for God is a beautiful gift that he has given us that orders all our other loves, including romantic love. Yeah. I think it, I mean, you just broke down. It's really beautiful because I think, and it's hard, it's, it's hard, it's beautiful and hard, so hard for people to hear because we've been infiltrated with so many other like descriptions of what love is or examples of what love is, especially culturally and just what we put on pedestal now, like even in the culture that I see it for in the single world, like we, so we put sex on such a pedestal and marriage on such a pedestal, even within the church, we often put marriage and kids on a pedestal. Mm. And even for a single straight person, like we're not guaranteed marriage. We're not guaranteed that we will even have kids. And so by putting it on this pedestal, it's even terrible for single straight people as well. And so, I mean, it's like, ah, well, what if I don't have that? I'm 38, I'm 40, I'm 45. What, and this isn't happening. And I see that so often the conversations I have with people that this idolization of marriage and kids and that sexual intimacy, it can be really destructive to our hearts and our souls. And when we, when we can break it down though, and come back to what you're saying and really reframe our picture of love, it's so, it's hard, but it's beautiful and so freeing. And I think it really, really allows us to step into the fullness of relationship with God. And so, yeah, I guess my question too is you say this in your book, but how is it possible to have a love charged life without even having Mm. to date? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a good question. Oh, I love this question. (laughs) This is going to be a really interesting place to take this. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) The early church fathers were all about this question. Probably a little bit too much, actually, to the point where I'm like, hey, guys, marriage is still great. So just calm down. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, yeah, go off into the monastery and perfect your life. So your your life is a love-charged reality. Like, that is what the church has always been obsessed with and trying to do from its earliest stages. And I think that's fascinating. That's a history we don't even really talk about in the modern West. Yeah. But for the early church, it was all about living a love-charged life, which often didn't have much to do with marriage. I think what we had live in an exciting time where that, like maybe overemphasis of the early church towards celibacy and the overemphasis of like the Protestant and Catholic and even Orthodox churches to some degree, um, over obsession with marriage can then like come together with that early church reality and, and, and create a better ethic for us, you know? And so we can live these two vocations of love, love charged life, marriage and singleness or celibacy. And, and, and we can rest in them. Mm. I think what I've found so hard about my single straight friends is how much, how little they rest in their singleness. They're just, so like I'm not complete and I'm like guys get over it like it's life is not about just being married and they're just obsessed and they just like go back into this mm-hmm. mode and I'm like so frustrated because I'm like that's not the Christian truth like come yes. on like look at Jesus and like oh yeah that's right oh, I feel so challenged I'm like so challenged move like come with me you know like and they're just like yeah but I want to get married and have kids and I'm like great but if God calls that like but if God calls you to that then great but if he doesn't then great like there's no loss yeah like the pressure is off yeah like you, you, wherever you are 
and however you're called at any moment is beautiful Mm -hmm. and is aligned with Jesus and doesn't have to be something else in the future. You can be present as you are and enjoy reality and love people. And you are not being held back from that if you're married or if you're single, like you are already that in Christ like stop resisting, you know? Um, And so that is like my heart cry, you know, on this podcast for people constantly like, I just want to date and I just want to be on something. I mean, that's not bad. It's not bad to want to date. It's not bad to want to get out there. But like maybe listen to a celibate gay Christian who's like gone, like had to go pretty deep (laughs) into the gospel and has come back out going, you know what? Like even if you never end up with someone, your life is going to be just as valuable, if not more valuable if you're celibate anyway so take the pressure off yourself enjoy your life let yourself just love through friendship in this crazy way and the thing about friendship is it's eternal marriage is not eternal yes so if you're creating deep and rich friendships you're creating eternal bounty you know for your future heavenly life like you're not going to lose that. And you're not going to lose marriage either because marriage can, is a form of friendship. You know, it's, it's based yeah. in friendship. Yeah. But marriage is not eternal. Like you're not. So I think that's my encouragement is it's like you're not losing out. I think the thing that makes it so hard to be single, honestly, is our culture. Yes. It's the saturation of that commodification and commercialization of romantic love and sex, which is so wrong like it is just wrong you know and I've been really happy actually recently like you look at films like kids films like Moana and you know Frozen, um, Frozen okay. Moana yes. too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're starting to see that culture is getting this yes. a little bit and that's exciting and we can get aligned with that so the, living a love charged life all about worshiping God at the center and enjoying all the goods of creation and giving them up for people in love and receiving them back again and just living this economy of glory that Jesus invites us into when we're baptized. I mean, it is so amazing, that economy of glory. And I just want to get as many people into that. If you're atheist and you're listening, you got to get baptized. You got to get into that economy of glory. You got to get your love charge life going. The way to do it is with Jesus as your Lord, Master, and the one who disciples you because he teaches us how to love and live a love charged life with the father. It's so cool. And the Holy Spirit's the best. So you need that. If you're atheist and listening, like, <laughs> no pressure, but it is awesome. And like, it has completely revolutionized my life. And I have so much more joy not being an atheist, just saying. So land on like, that is how to live a love charged life. <laughs> I mean, you can speak to that because that was your, that's how you, that was your life before. You know, like, I love that. I love your unique perspective, man, David, my final, I have final two small things, but you know, somebody coming from being a gay activist previously, um, and now you are a Christian apologist, you know, in ways, and, and yeah. you, and so how should Christians respond to gay activism today? We're, you know, we're recording this, it's June, it's Pride Month, you know, I think, how, how do we as Christians respond to gay activism? I think we should just be so thrilled that people are able in our society now to be honest and real about their sexual orientation. Mm. I think we just have to start there. Like, you know, we don't necessarily agree as Christians with, with where our culture takes that, but we need to affirm that like, my gosh, like people had lobotomies, people were electroshock therapy, you know, people like were rejected by their parents and committed suicide. Like people have gone through hell and back when they're gay in our history as the West And finally, that has really started to change. And yeah, there are some things I don't agree with. And yeah, there are things like that's not the way to go with Jesus. But let's just rejoice in that change. Mm -hmm. And let's actually face our history as the church where we might have been a little bit complicit, hey, in that history and say, no, we're not going to be complicit in that history anymore. We're going to love gay people with the truth. We're not going to compromise ourselves and what the gospel says, but we're going to love them and we're going to celebrate that liberation. And that's not a full fake liberation, in my opinion. Like, that's so important to be given the choice not to have to be a Christian, you know, to give, be given the choice to go and have a gay marriage if you want to, to be given the choice to not be discriminated against in your workplace, to be given the choice not to be locked up and given some weird like hormone with yeah. Yeah. 1960s like oh my gosh people like let's wake up as christians and just be like this is awesome on many levels and then on the other side it's like 
Go and be with our gay neighbors and love them as ourselves. That's what Jesus says to do. Jesus didn't agree with his neighbor on nearly anything. Did you see even the people that weren't his neighbors, he barely agreed with most of the time? Yes. Yes. I'm not saying that's history, like our role as much as Jesus's role, but we do that a little bit. You know, we, we break the stereotype, the cultural script that we're given by our secular culture to say Christianity is bad. They have given us a cultural script and Christians keep pulling into it instead of being like Jesus. And we have to defy that cultural script that we're there to hate gay people and see them as the enemy. And even when they become our enemies because they're so angry and then they start persecuting the church, we are called to love them. That's what Jesus says. Yeah. And I just think, I know there's so much to say in this. I could do a whole podcast with you. <laughs> I, but I just think love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body and love your neighbor as yourself has to be the beginning point of where we start and the repentance of how we as the church have got it wrong too. Mm-hmm. First, before we go to any of the ethics and before we go to the ethics, we need to recognize the suffering and the difference and the difficulty of being gay as a mystery that yeah. isn't easily explained away by, yes. you know, a homophobic view, but is actually through the gospel, even illumination and taken in a different direction. And I'm living that out as a celibate gay Christian. I am gay. I'm attracted to men. I find men very beautiful. I don't find that sinful. I didn't choose that. If I act on it, yes, I don't think that's God's will for my life and it would be ultimately sinful. However, I do not need to feel shame about being gay. I can be open and honest or same-sex attracted if people prefer that, whatever, (laughs) queer, all these words, like it's complicated. But I don't need need to worry about just having that orientation. I am called as a disciple to live it out differently than our culture. And that's true. However, there is no shame. And in my celibacy, I should be able to walk into secular culture and be loved and embraced by the gay community and not rejected. I shouldn't be persecuted in the secular world for being celibate and deciding I want to live a different way. That is as much a gay right. as the right to go and live differently to the church. And I stand by both and I want both never to be persecuted by people. Um, And the invitation of Jesus is a choice. It is not forced on us morally from above. So that's my rant. (laughs) I mean, my gosh, I want to like keep going, but I'm like, ah, okay, no, but what you just firehosed us with is so important and I love it so much because it just, it, it changes. Like the posture needs to be seeking to understand the pain of which that we don't understand, you know, and seeking to, to, you know, repent for what the wrong that we have done towards the gay community historically and celebrating that there's our differences and that 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 pain and those terrible things that have happened to the gay community are you know finally being recognized and reconciled with and not and happening less and that there's a celebration within that that I think is just yes. needs to we need to to sell I mean I think of Jesus if he was here like I mean he would never stand for the treatment that we've done to people you know um to gay Absolutely people not. and and just even like before we even started our conversation David like I think it's so important to for anybody listening who's like, you know, maybe they're, they are a Christian who has never struggled with being gay or same-sex attracted, whatever you want to say. And they've just been, they have learned that being gay is bad. You know, like that is what they've been taught for whatever reason from growing up. I think it's so important that I understand where people get really defensive because that is their upbringing and that's what they've learned their whole life. But I think today, this conversation, hopefully through the series, it's an invitation to say, hey, can we just love our gay brothers and sisters, our neighbors? Can we learn to under seek to understand? Can we lead with grace? Can we lead with compassion? Because yes, we may have truths that we believe, but like none of those truths will even be heard if we don't first lead with the compassion and the grace and build relationships. And I mean, that's just where my heart is. <laughs> and I'm like- can, and, and Kate, yes. you know, it, being gay is differently fallen but differently a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And until we understand those two realities, we're going to get it wrong. If we overemphasize one against the other, we don't describe it. Mm. There is no analogy to being gay. It's not like alcoholism. It is not like some other thing. It's not, there's even quite a big difference between being transgender and gay. And that's a whole other conversation. Maybe we can have down the track. But, but, but what I'm trying to say is it's differently fallen and differently a gift. Mm. It is both 
you know, yes. and it's wow. alcoholism, I would not say is a gift. <laughs> yeah, know? no. But oh being gay, I think, yeah. is because it's about being created with desire for intimacy. Mm. But it's also about being a sinner in a unique and different way. And both together in one reality, not separated, is where I land and where I think the freedom of Jesus really is. And I'm just hoping across the spectrum, even those who disagree with me might just hear me out in that what I am not trying to say is that I've just solved the issue. It's so hard to get to a place where you come to peace with yourself let alone with God in this society. It is a dog-eat-dog world, and people have had all sorts of atrocious experiences that have led them to different conclusions, and I want to respect and love and send the positive vibes their way. I am not trying to say, all oh, be like me, this celibate gay Christian, it's so easy. It isn't. It's hard. It's complicated. It's, woo, it's, been, a, it's been a ride, but I have this, I am sharing this truth because I know it saved me. I know it's brought me into something so much deeper, a deeper joy. And I just want as many people out there as possible to have it. And that's why I'm sharing this with you, Kate, and why I think people in Heart of Dating, they're seeking that intimacy, they're seeking that depth, and they're wanting to have good relationships and live it out. And so I just I just want to say that, that you know, I still have solidarity with other gay people and who have chosen a different way and disagree with me because we have that same experience of our body and our suffering and so I have solidarity with them even if I disagree in the direction I think that's really important that we learn forms of solidarity as Christians with the world and forms of differentiation you know scripture says we shouldn't be friends with the world but what it's talking about there is like the whole system of sin and like how the Satan is involved in all of that which is yeah. complicated but it also says love your enemies and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so yeah. doing that means you're non-Christian people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's holding that dialectic together in this, going forward and finding the bridges and solidarity, and yet finding the moments of differentiation, which can create conviction, holding those two together. And that's, that's just where I think we need to go as the church, but we also need to go as a secular society where we can have people who disagree loving each other. Yes, man. Oh my gosh. David, I love this conversation. You are the best. Like seriously, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just so rich and so eye-opening and, and so grace-filled and loving. The last question that you're getting, because everybody gets this question, doesn't have to be long if you don't want to. It's just, what's your final nugget of dating advice for the Heart of Dating listeners today? <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I have a date with Jesus. Um <laughs> No, 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 no. Jesus is not my boyfriend. But oh my like, gosh. Uh, Hashtag Jesus is my boyfriend. Uh, I am part of the bride, okay? Um, so- <laughs> oh my gosh. No. I love- <laughs> Hashtag friend date. Um, no, it's... <laughs> no, I, I, I think my advice for a date, find something that brings the other person joy. Ask them questions about who they are, their personal preferences, and just be creative with your experiences. Like, I have loved watching a love affair, Christian, married couple of friends that I've lived with through lockdown. They are now yeah. married, yeah. and they live with me. And what I loved that they did for each other is they were just so attentive to what they loved and so studied each other's person that they created these experiences for each other. So one of them was like basket weaving. <laughs> I like the other was like going frolicking in a field with like the horses. I mean, it can be whatever, but those experiences that just bring joy to the other person, set them up and take that person out and just invite God into that space, you know, as you're enjoying each other. And I just think that's just such a great thing to do. That's my dating advice. Create experiences for each other. I I love that. I love that. Also, like, we can do that in friendship, too. I, I get so much joy, like, doing that for my friends as well, which is great practice for dating everyone, okay? We don't just have to wait. We could also do those things right now in singleness. Grab your best friend and off you go create an experience. It's so fun. 
All right, David, if people want to connect with you and all the richness you're putting out into the world, how do they do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, anywhere. Instagram has become my new favorite place, but I'm on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. I have a website. I'm currently doing my doctorate and at the end of it, so probably not super available for emails or long DMs, but I would love to hear from you and I will be hopefully getting things together in ministry after I finish my doctorate. Which and, is incredible. Yeah, we'll You're just around. at Oxford. It's um, fine. It's not it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really beautiful blessing from God. I almost feel like it's a little bit like he created an experience for me. Oh, so. my <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, David, thank you so much for today. This was such a blessing to me and I'm so excited for people to hear our conversation. <laughs> Likewise, Kate, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I hope this blesses your audience, whatever their background. Yes, me too. Blessings to you, my friend. My gosh, I couldn't take notes fast enough as David was speaking today. You guys, he is powerful. His story is so gorgeous. I love how he talks about how the Holy Spirit was pursuing him and his prophecy from his uncle that came true three months later. I mean, it is just so profound and powerful. But I also love how David presented the ways in which we can show up towards the LGBTQ plus community today as Christians. I just think he does such a beautiful job of being a celibate gay Christian man but also coming alongside the gay community, whether Christian or not, it is absolutely profound and we can learn so much from how David approaches this. So I encourage you to connect with David, get his book and just listen and reflect on the words that he said today. That's it for our first episode in this series. I pray again that before you reach out to us that you really think and process and you let the Holy Spirit start changing your heart and perspectives. All right, you guys, that's it for now until episode two of our series next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. 